Mac Power Users, Episode 170, 2014 Tech Resolutions. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Katie Floyd, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Santa was good to you. I'm sure he was. I, I'm I'm podcasting very dangerously right now. I had a really hard day at work. I came home and I made myself a big thing, big, big tall glass of seltzer water and just downed it. And I did the Merlin Man technique where you triple tap the... The carbonation you know, button? Yeah. Oh, boy. And then I sat down at the microphone and said, I'm about to podcast. And I just drank about a liter of super carbonated water. So th- this could be the shortest episode ever of Mac Power Users. <laughs> I could, well, you know, we just missed Christmas. I could do my routine, my elf routine. No, thank you. You see the elf where he did that great burp? Uh, oh. Did you ever see Elf, Katie Floyd? Is that the one with uh, Will Ferrell? Yes. I don't remember if I saw that or not. Oh, um, my goodness. Oh, you just hurt me every week. Uh, but, but however, I, I do, I can report, I have finished my homework assignment and I have watched the entire first season of Sherlock. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and? And I'm, I don't think Moriarty is who we think he is. What? I don't think that's really Moriarty. Okay. Because in the last episode of the first season, he reveals himself. I think there's a twist. I think there's a twist coming. I'm just going on record as saying I think there's well, a twist Well, did you coming. enjoy it? Did you I did. Enjoy it? I'm, I did enjoy uh, without it. Without any comment. Any further comment. Yes, and I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it because I don't know. I'm just saying that is my, I think there's a twist coming. You you haven't watched Elf. That's that's the that's one of the modern classics, you know. Uh, All right, let's I get have, going. I have devoted every night for the last week to catching up on Sherlock, so I could tell you about this. And I, I'm very proud of you. Okay, I'm very proud of you. All right, network attached storage is. Uh, you know, before we get there, uh, I have one one little thing. Of course, I, you I've do. got a ton of email. I just did an update to the to the email uh, field guide. As version one point one came out couple fixes, some new content, very happy with it. And got a bunch of email from people saying, do I have to buy it again? I don't really understand. Uh, e- uh, books and iBooks author work just like apps. If the author updates it and they release it, you just have to re-download it. So everybody out there, you should be checking it out. I'm going to have version 1.4 of Paperless out in January. Version 1.2 of Markdown's coming right after that. And, um, you know, I like to keep these books current. So go go download it for free. There you go. Okay. First thing we wanted to talk about is in 2014, we're going to get better at networked attached storage. And I think this is something a lot of people want to get better about because when we did our feedback show a couple episodes ago, we had so many emails about network attached storage that we thought about doing a complete episode on network attached storage. And we just kind of decided that this was a good thing to put in our New Year's resolutions show. Yeah. And, and, so what is network attached storage? It's a hard drive somewhere in your network. A big hard drive. Hopefully. And it's available to any computer that's on the network. So if you and your significant other both have laptops, you can have this pool of shared data. And it's a great thing. We're going to be doing, uh, I'm working hard at work on outlining a show on photo management. And that's a big part of it for us. But I don't want to get into that today because that is a whole show. But uh, just in general for network attached storage, like for instance, you could have a, a group of documents or 
songs or movies or whatever on this big hard drive, and then everybody could share from it. One of the things we do in our family these days is we take the movies that we've we've got and we've got them on our NAS, and it's a Drobo in our case. And so, if somebody wants to put a movie into their iTunes library, they can they can pull it down and put it in their individual libraries without having to load that whole library into everybody's or have them to go to a special computer. And that's an example of how we use a network attached storage. And you don't have to necessarily have multiple people. I mean, in my case, I've got a network attached storage device in my house that I use because I have multiple computers and multiple devices that access the data on this. And I've got my MacBook Air, which is my primary machine, but then I've also got this Mac mini server. And I've got, I think like you, well, I don't know. Did you say your iTunes library is on your NAS? Sort of. Oh. Um, we've we've got, you know, we use iTunes Match. So I've got one version of it downloaded to a hard drive and backed up. So we've got like all of our music locally stored. But for all the my kids and my wife, they each have their iTunes Match account. And they just download from the library what it is that they want. Yes. And see, then they handle the movie part by actually copying the individual movies they want onto their drives and they can take them off as they want. One of the things I've discovered as I've gone from, from, you know, tweeners to teenagers is we don't spend nearly as much money buying movies as we used to because they're kind of like adults now and they watch a movie once and they're pretty much good with it. Whereas when they're little, they watch over and over again. So we've really cut back the number of movies. And, and frankly, I've deleted a bunch of movies that I had ripped from discs we had bought because they aren't going to watch. I mean, they just don't watch the Barbie movies anymore. And I got tired of dealing with it. So we just kind of had a, a purging of our library. But it's time for Barbie to go. Amen, sister. Yeah. Not that she wasn't great when they liked it, but now it's over. Yeah. But, so, but I'd like to go into 2014 and get better at this because I, I'm using it right now as a pool of storage. And uh, the Drobo in particular has all these apps coming out for it where you can attach different software services to it. Like you could even put your iTunes library on and have it serve up using some of these third-party solutions. And I haven't gone there yet. I've just been too busy. And I know you have. So tell David, me, what am David, I supposed David. to do? Yeah. Uh, well, don't be ashamed about using your NAS as a big pot of storage, because that's pretty cool in and of itself. I mean, it's nice to have everything located all in one place and not have to be juggling with hard drives, because there used to be a time when I'd like plug in a hard drive and be like, mm, nope, not that one. Mm, nope, not that one. And yeah, have to figure out where everything is. But I've done a couple of things with, with my Drobo and... Um, and you could use this on Synologies, and there are other, a lot of other quote, you know, smart NASs. I think is is the term uh, out there that that have support for these apps. Um, so one I've done is Plex, and Plex was one of the first ones that was available on the Drobo, and it's pretty popular. And so Plex was easy; it was a one-click install thing. And because I already had my iTunes library on the Drobo, you know how if you click the little box in iTunes to keep your iTunes Music folder library organized inside yeah, you that, do that in the iTunes app. Yeah, in, inside the master library, you'll get the iTunes music folder library, but then you'll have subfolders for um, music, movies, podcasts, and, you know, basically all the different categories of stuff. Yeah. So that fits real well with how Plex organizes things. So once you install Plex, you can, Plex says, okay, well, where do you keep your movies? Well, since I keep everything in my iTunes library, here, here, Plex, here's, here's, I'm going to point you to, to the to the TV category, I forgot what I said, but here's here I'm going to point you to the TV category in iTunes. I'm going to point you to the movies folder in iTunes. I'm going to point you to the music folder in iTunes. And so Plex will go ahead and it will will read from all of that stuff. 
And now Plex is not officially supported on the Apple TV. Of course, you know, there are hacks that I don't even know what the current state of it is. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, depending on where we are in the upgrade cycle. Um, but um, you can certainly install Plex on computers and stream from various computers and from iOS devices, which is pretty cool. And then you can stream from your iOS device using AirPlay back to your Apple TV, which seems a little backwards, but, you know, it works. Um, there's also a... Um, a new iTunes library sharing that is on my list of things to do for 2014 that will allow you to actually use the Drobo. And I think there's a similar, and in fact, I know there's a similar um, feature on the Synology because Ben wrote it and told us about it, um, that there's a, I think it's called the DS video feature on the Synology um, where you can stream direct to the Apple TV. And I think the Drobo has something similar with one of their apps that I've got to get around to. That's on my, my project list again for 2014, is so that I'll be able to stream. Because right now what I do is I have to have the Mac Mini on. You have to have a computer on somewhere for your Apple TVs to see all the data in your iTunes. And so the goal at some point would be nice to to eliminate the, the middleman, to eliminate the, the Mac Mini. We, we have really embraced iTunes movies in the last couple of years. I mean, yeah. because we're not buying as many, we'll just rent it and watch it. Or if there is something we want to buy which is probably maybe what four movies this year, uh, then we'll just buy it in the iTunes. And that way it just shows up. I, I know that's kind of a fanboy thing, but I just like that it all works and I don't have to think about it. So we, we've really kind of changed the way we consume that stuff. But I've also been become a much bigger, you know, streaming user in the last year or two. So, and that doesn't really apply to this conversation at all. But you have also done your backup system through your your Drobo as well now, right? Yeah, and, and I, th I think we're also going to talk a little bit about backup later in the show, or maybe we can talk about it next, depending on where you want to talk about it. But I, I want to talk about backup in in two different contexts. Contexts, I guess. That's in two different just contexts. Context. I know. Yes, yes it's there a late, it's been a long day. Two different contexts when um, when I talk about backing up my NAS, and so. One is I do want to back up the data on my NAS. And then two is I want to back up data to my NAS. And yeah, so let's talk about the first let's one. Let's talk about the first one. Yeah. So David Wayne came on our show and he said, I'm really unhappy with my NAS because it, it you know, shut down on me. I lost all my data. Right. And, and that, that's, a, I think, a common mistake people make. You get one of these and most of them have some form of data duplication, whether it's like RAID 1 where it's just mirroring the data or some kind of thing going on where it's it's copying things for you. But the, that's still a contained unit that has all your data on it. I still think you need a separate backup of that. Yeah, and, and, and these are all single points of failure. So you could have a physical hardware failure of the device, um, or you could have some kind of software failure and, and the data could just be corrupted. Or your house could burn down or the bad guy could walk in your house and just pick up your NAS and walk out the door with all your data. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just a lot of reasons why that's bad. Um, the way I do it is very old school. I've got a, a Western Digital drive that I attach to my Drobo th through my computer once a month, and I just download the whole thing, just copy everything. It's a big six terabyte external drive. Um, I've considered doing that with Chronosync, and that's one of the things I have some time off after Christmas because we're recording this a little early and I'm going to be playing with, uh, maybe setting up a Chronosync script to do that for me, but let uh, me help I, you with this. 
I, I don't want to keep, but let me just tell you my kind of okay. my parameters is okay. I, I don't want the drive to be attached to the system at all times. I mean, my network attached storage uh-huh. is next to my, um, is right next to my server and uh, I'm sorry, it's right next to my router and there's really not a computer even there. So I just want to be able to have something that is not stored in the same place. It's got a good copy of the data. And I figure if I lose 30 days, that's not really going to kill me. All right. So what have I done wrong? All right. Well, let, let me tell you the ways that I back up the data on my drive up or my network. The same will work for network, you know, regardless of the network test storage you have. I have two methods. The simplest one is I use carbon copy cloner. And I have a, in my case, I don't have as much data yet, but I'm getting pretty close. So I have a three terabyte just USB hard drive that, you know, I bought Amazon gold box deal, 99 bucks or whatever somewhere. And that is plugged into my Mac mini because I've got this Mac mini that that's sitting around that's always on. And so I've got a carbon copy cloner task that is scheduled to, I think it's once a week, maybe twice a week at 2 a.m. or sometime when, when things likely aren't happening and, and aren't going to be using this, that will read the data from the data portion of the Drobo drive because I've got mine partitioned into a few different sections. I've got a data partition. I've got a Drobo apps partition. And then I've got a time machine backup partition. So all I really need to backup is the data partition that reads the data from that partition, mounts the three terabyte drive, um, copies whatever data has changed since the last copy. So it's probably not copying a ton of data because it's just doing incremental backups and then, or not incremental, but it's only doing what's changed and then dismounts the drive. Now the problem with that is, yeah, the drive is still plugged in to my computer. So if I had some kind of event that I would, I would lose both of them, but I, I feel pretty comfortable with that level of backup. And I'm sure you could configure a similar event because I think Carbon Copy Cloner has a trigger to, instead of do this once a month or whatever, it could do it, you know, when the drive is plugged in. So you could, you could probably configure it to, yeah, hey, they hey, all do that. Yeah. Whenever yeah. you see me plug this drive in, do this. But we all know that we, we're big proponents of some kind of offsite backup, right? Yeah. Because if it doesn't live offsite and you have some kind of issue at your site, you, you've got an issue. So I, I did a blog post on this, and it's it's kind of a convoluted method, and I don't know whether Backblaze works any better, but I use CrashPlan. I know you use Backblaze, and both programs have a limited support for, for, ex, for backing up external drives. And the problem that I've run into is not all network-attached storage drives will show up as available hard drives for these um, – for these backup services. And I think that's just because of the way that they're mapped and the way that they're mounted. So what the the little hack that I have found is that I have found that if I mount my Drobo via AFP, which I think stands for Apple file sharing protocol, does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. If I mount the Drobo via AFP, which I do via an Apple script um, and I, I do it by IP address, which I know because I set up a DHCP reservation. Do I need to go? Is that getting too deep? I'll, I guess I can go. Well, let's that. just let, I don't want to spend the whole show talking about this stuff. So just, if you don't know this stuff, you'll have to go do some Google searches. Okay. So what I do is I, I manually mount my Drobo in the finder via AFP and I use an Apple script that will keep it mounted. And then it shows up as available for crash plan and crash plan sees it. And then I can select data off of that that I want to back up with crash plan. And then that backs up to crash plans offsite cloud. Yeah. You know, listening to you talk, I, I think one thing I may do is it's not is hard. Hook, it's just, well, I, I know, but I don't have a computer connected in that area. 
So my my NAS is is off alone, which is one of the things I love about it. It but has its own processor. Yeah, but that's great. You don't have to have a computer in that area. It just has to be yeah, on your so, network somewhere. So maybe I'll get an extra drive and hang it off the family iMac and and set something up to automate that. But it, it, I'm not really that worried about it because all that data is already backed up in other ways too. I mean, I, and I don't want this to turn into a two hour backup show either. Um, maybe we should switch into the backup subject too, because I don't want to, I, I have just a little bit. I want to talk about new year's resolutions in relation to backup. We've done plenty of shows on it in the past. We'll probably do another one explaining how backups work and, and what we're doing in 2014. But as the new year approaches, are we done with the NAS topic? Well, I, Kind of, but I have one more thing to say about it when we get into backup. So. Okay, well, I, I'll tell you my backup resolutions are, I want to get better at backing up my family's computers. I, I have good. so many workflows and so many hard drives full of my own personal data and the family photos and the family videos. My kids and my wife um, have never really taken much responsibility for it because I've always just taken care of it for them. And I want to get better at kind of teaching them those habits now. I and like that. That sounds that sounds really goofy, but I I do think as you know the kids get older, that at some point they're not going to live with me, and they need to kind of figure this stuff out. And I think it's really important for people to save their data. So I want to get them more involved with it, and I want to you know get a, a more reliable system for them. Currently, for most of my family, really what I'm doing is I'm saving to the you know to the family time capsule, and then occasionally I'll go and super duper their drives and put it in a closet. So I need to get better with their stuff. That's one thing I want to work on with backup. Do you, uh, do you wanted, have any uh, ideas for how to do this? or uh, Sitting down with them and explaining to them how it works and having them check their own, give, a, give them each one of their own hard drives. I, I don't know. I, I, I've got a, it's, that's just something I've got written down that I want to do as I get you know, into the new year and have some time to sit down with them is fix the family backups and, and get some more personal responsibility for them. Uh, the other thing I want to get better at is cloud storage. I've now got this big buckets of Dropbox, and I've got even bigger buckets of transporter storage. And I've got some things figured out. I've got a really good photo backup system using transporter. And I've got some other things like with the field guide data. I like having kind of a cloud storage without putting it on the Dropbox. And I've got little pieces of it, but I've never sat down and figured it out, kind of soup to nuts, where things fit in my mind, because we've got more options than we had when I first developed this stuff. And I'm going to I'm going to work on that as we move into the next year, too. Yeah, I have a couple more comments on that. But before we go there, can I take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor? Yeah. So our first our first sponsor for this episode is Hover. And David, you know, in the last two episodes that we've recorded, I've managed to get you to buy a domain name accidentally. Well, one was on purpose. So we'll see if that holds true and I can go three for three. Maybe. I'm not going to buy a domain today, Katie. You're but. not going to buy it. If you were going to buy a domain, you would definitely want to go to hover.com to buy a domain. Because what you can do with Hover is if you have a great idea, if you um, have a topic, if you have a subject, uh, Hover's got a great search box where you can type in a topic or anything that you're interested in, and it will kick you back a list of, of domains that maybe, uh, well, definitely domains that are available, but domains that may be of interest to you. Um, and they've got all of the major domains. They've got the .coms, they've got the .nets, they've got the .co's, they've got the .tv's. In fact, all of my domains that I have, and I've collected a lot of them, and David's collected even more than I have because he keeps serial buying them as I'm reading the ad spots, 
um, are registered through Hover. And if you already have a domain, you can transfer it to Hover. And why would you want to do that? Well, because Hover is just such a pleasure to do business with because you've probably done business with all of these other domain providers who are just really a pain and you probably don't like giving them the money because you go and you buy a domain and it's this ultra cheap price. But then by the time you get to the cart, somehow you've double tripled and quadrupled the price because there's, you know, an extra add on if you well this if you want privacy and this is if you don't want us to email you and this if you don't want us to sell us your data and all of this other boxes that you have to check it, and things that you have it, to get. It feels like a shakedown. It does. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. And there's none of that with Hover. You register your domain. Privacy is automatically included, so you don't have to worry about people scraping your domain and getting your information. Um, and the only time you'll get an email from them is when your domain is up for renewal. It just says, hey, by the way, your domain's up for renewal. And I get one email a year from Hover about all of my domains. Uh, if you want to go ahead and set up email through Hover, which I know you have done, David, you can do that. You can set up your own email address through your Hover, so you've got a real professional email address that matches your domain. And you can also buy Google apps for businesses through Hover. So if you like the Google products of services, but you're a little hesitant about dealing with Google, because, I mean, how do you call Google? What's their phone number? And if you've got a problem, who do you talk to? If you buy it through Hover, you talk to Hover, and they're your customer service, and they take care of you. So you can find more information about all the products and services available. Check them out at Hover.com. And when you go, whether you're transferring your domains or whether you're buying new domains, you can use the coupon code MACPOWERUSERS and get 10% off your order. Still not buying? I, I think that they're going to renew with us just because they're getting their sponsorship money back with my purchases. That's, you that's, know, that's why probably not? true. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I love Hover and I have bought many more domains than I probably should have. Yeah. But And uh thanks to Hover for for their continued support of the show. So, jumping back on this on this cloud thing, what do you currently, I mean, what is because that's something that I'm struggling with a little bit too. I feel like I've got some stuff in iCloud, some stuff in my transporter, some stuff in Dropbox. And we actually had somebody email us and I almost put this in the feedback show and I thought, well, maybe it will kind of fit here. Someone who emailed us that said, well, why would you use Dropbox and transporter? Or why would you use Dropbox and Google drive? Um, what, and is that what your problem is, is that you've got too many things in different pots or, or what do you have where? No, I just, the transporter, and I don't want this to sound like a big transporter commercial because they are a sponsor of the show, but it really has opened a lot of options for me that I didn't have otherwise because a Dropbox is great. And, and what one of the things that makes Dropbox great is the API. All these yeah, app developers have plugged into it and that way it just naturally works. Like if I'm right, if I just today I scan something with PDF pin, and it went straight up PDF pin scan plus on my phone and it went straight up to Dropbox because they've got the Dropbox API and then all the magic happens on my Mac and it's great. Wow. I almost had one of those burps, but I just recovered at the last minute. Thank goodness. Um, the, um, but, but then I'm, but the problem with Dropbox is size. I mean, I've got a hundred gigabyte, uh, storage on Dropbox. So I can't really realistically look at that to store things like movies and pictures and photos and everything. Well, that's, that's so, a lot. Well, it's not an it's, it's not enough for me. Let's just put it that way. I, I have a lot of data, and so, and there's just certain things it just doesn't work for. As a result, now the transporter, I've got a terabyte of data, and this is really great. I mean, like my you know my field guide, the the books that ship are a gigabyte in size. Well, let me just say that there are a lot more gigabytes involved in every book in the production of it. So I've got ma- these massive files. 
And I've been starting to store those on my transporter. Um, we share files for the podcast on a transporter. Yep. Uh, and I've got this really cool system for making a running backup of all your photographs to a transporter, which is uh, just to tease this photo management show, I think is going to be pretty good because everybody's struggling with this and I've really been working hard on it, but that's part of the system for me is I've got a, a way that I export photos in a nice organized fashion and get them on the transporter. And then, so they're suddenly uh, here on my extra transporter drive. They're at my sister-in-law's house on the transporter. I've plugged into their network and I just feel really good that I've got that extra layer of security for my family photos. So you know, I'm getting stuff going. As I said, when I was talking about it, I want to get better at this in 2014. Uh, you know, tax returns and some of the stuff, the financial stuff that I want to protect. You know, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can take those off my local drive and put them on a transporter. I haven't figured it all out yet, Katie. But the, um, but this is something I definitely want to get better at as we go into the next year. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of using it. I think the same way that you are. I do have a lot of stuff in Dropbox. But I also use Dropbox to connect to a lot of things, you know, because they have so many APIs that that hook into different things. You know, so you can get the one password data in Dropbox. I mean, so many apps on the phone use Dropbox as a storage place. Um, and I, you know, I don't know, maybe the two gigabyte free Dropbox is enough for that, but it's certainly not enough for that and other stuff. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. And I get what the the listener said who wrote in. I mean, if you don't have that much data, Maybe just a single Dropbox account is fine. Um, you know, I've talked about in this show on Backup years ago how I saved my niece's bacon just by getting her the free two gigabyte Dropbox account. And she had all her papers in there and her computer got fried, but everything was on Dropbox. And she still gives me great Christmas presents as a result. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just depends on your needs. But I know that Dropbox isn't enough for me. And now I have this new tool. And I'm still kind of putting it together how how I can use it. I've been really on a grind the last, I feel like the last four months, just with some stuff at home and stuff at the day job and getting the book out. I feel like I've been really working hard and I haven't had time to really dig in on this stuff. I have a whole list of things I'm going to be doing in the week following Christmas. So that's one of them. All right. I think we've covered backup enough, right? I think you got it. Okay. What do you want to talk about next? Um, let's see what else you got on your, your list here. You've got less fiddly writing. Yes. I've spent way too much time lately thinking about writing workflows. And we've done this on this show ad nauseum. But I've been thinking because I've started writing the next field guide. And uh, I thought I'd just take a little diversion and tell you all the madness I went through as I was trying to figure out the next, next book. So uh, to begin with, my... My mind mapping has switched. For years, I've been a big proponent of iThoughts HD, and I've really moved over to MindNode. It's they they came out with their new version for iOS. It's really nice. Um, I really like the iCloud Sync. It's not as powerful as iThoughts HD, and if you need that power, I get it. But for the kind of mind mapping I do, MindNode is has been working. So I've got, okay, so I've, I've changed my tools for that. Maybe I should look at all the other tools available to, to do the writing in. And in the past, I've always written them in Scrivener and now Ulysses is out. That's looking really good. And I don't, Katie, have you ever played with Ulysses? No, I haven't. I stay in that's, Byward. Well, it's, it's I, very I know nice. Ulysses is very different for, it, it feels to me like uh, the halfway point between Scrivener and, and something like Byword. 
It's got some more organizational tools. It's gorgeous. It's not quite as, you know, it doesn't have the same tool set as Scrivener, which is, you know, pretty amazing when you think about everything you do with Scrivener. But it seemed like a really good fit. They don't have an iOS app, at least yet, but I think they're working on one. And that was kind of a holdup for me. And so I played with it, and I ended up not deciding against that one. Then they came out with a new IA Writer Pro, just uh, actually the week before we record the show. I thought and we were I, supposed to be getting less fiddly. Yeah, well, that's my point. Okay. I've gone through this process, and it's kind of made me realize I've been really wasting a lot of time on this. So I started playing with IA Writer Pro, and, and that doesn't really solve the problems that I need. Um, they They sell it as like this workflow-style writing tool, but it just didn't really work for me. I think part of the reason is when I'm writing a book, I'm looking for something that's both a good writing environment and also something that's really got great organizational tools. Research is a bonus, but it does definitely needs better organizational tools. And I, you know, I, I wrote the last field guide largely in, in pages because I wanted to be able just to have it on my iPad and pick up where I left off at any time without any problem. But Pages isn't as good as it used to be in terms of organization. It used to be, you know, the old version of Pages had a really great outlining mode. So I could work on the outline of the book on my Mac and then moving things around would actually move the text around. And then when I'd open up my iPad, it would just pick up where I left off. And that was pretty nice. But it wasn't as good as Scrivener. And I actually kind of paid for it at the end in terms of organization and getting the book set right. I think I spent a lot more time than I would have if I did it in Scrivener to begin with. So I had that in mind. Then I thought about, well, I'll just write it as one big file in Byword, you know, with Markdown syntax. And I even have some of the text in a Byword file right now. And I fiddled with that for a few days, but that really just doesn't give me the organization I'm going to do. I mean, if you're going to write 40,000 words, you need more than one long text file. So <laughs> I went through this process, Katie, are you tired yet? Are you, are you asleep? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? what are we and at the, at the end of the day, I realized, you know what, I need, I need to stop fighting all this stuff and just write my book in Scrivener like I always do. And I've got the Scrivener file up and running and everything's running great. And and uh, one of my resolutions for 2014 is not to do that to myself again. Yeah. But you know I, what's going to happen? What? Uh, uh, Byword, uh, I bet Ulysses, and... There'll be some more. There's going to be some apps that come out, some very powerful writing tools on, I'm sorry, Scrivener, of course, as well. Uh, there's going to be some very powerful writing tools on the Mac that are going to get accompanying uh, uh, iOS apps where I'm going to be able to get to write on my iPad and pick up where I left off like I did with Pages. And those are all going to come out in 2014. So, Well, if they I'm could do that gonna... for Scrivener, you'd be set. Yeah, I, I think I will. And I know they're working on it very hard. They've done some blog posts and it looks very interesting because I do a lot of writing on the iPad. And, and that was a real bo a bonus for me, the ability just to pick up where I left off on my iPad or even as goofy as it sounds, my phone. Yeah. Well, I've, I've really streamlined my writing workflow. And, and by writing, I don't mean notes because that's a whole nother disaster that, you know, we talked a little bit about in the, in the feedback show, but I mean, writing when I'm going to sit down and, and, and write something, whether it be a, a blog post or, or whatever. And it, it's, it's pretty much one of two apps for me. If it's work related, because everything work related is in the office ecosystem, it's an office and it's in or, or word rather. And if it's not, it's in by word. 
And I'm really using the iCloud sync in ByWord. And I've got a couple of folders set up in iCloud within ByWord. And that's it. Yeah, and it's just I, all I use there. the heck out of ByWord too. I, I spend more time writing in ByWord than any other app. But this this whole process I just went through is something for a book where ByWord just yeah, isn't going to yeah. cut it. Yeah. Um, even large briefs I write in Scrivener. So I, I use Scrivener for anything that's going to get long and need organization. Um, before we go on, I'd like to talk about our, our sponsor, SaneBox. Speaking and, uh, of organization. <laughs> well, SaneBox is just a great sponsor. I think they're a perfect fit for our audience. And if you haven't heard of them yet, they're, I wrote about them in the email field guide, and I've become a huge proponent. I use their service. I'm a paid subscriber for the next year, and I just re-signed up. And SaneBox is a way to conduct smart filtering of your email. So we all have the problem of opening your email in the morning and finding sometimes hundreds of emails in there, ranging from target ads to something from your boss. And you look at it and it's just paralyzing because there's so much in there. You don't know what to do with it. And you wish in your mind, wouldn't it be great if someone would review and organize this for me? Uh, well, that's what SaneBox does. It does smart filtering for you. So if you get an email from target, um, and boy, that's a whole nother subject. Yeah. You're, you're picking, don't be picking on yeah. target now. They've got, um, no. but they got enough problems, <laughs> but both Beyonce and everybody who has a credit card is angry with them right now. So that's pretty tough. But so anyway, but the target email comes in, it goes into the news subject. You know, you've got a sub uh, email box from same box that puts like newsletters in there for you. And then there's one that comes from your cousin. That's not really that important, but it's something that you definitely want to deal with. They'll put it in the later box for you. And it goes through and it filters the whole inbox for you. So when you wake up, instead of having a hundred emails, you've got seven and the one from your boss is right there. And it's really easy to see and reply to. It finally helps you wrangle that big problem that we have is this overwhelming inbox. That's not all it does though. They've got a whole bunch of other services too. Um, they've got their own way to kind of give you a spam filtering where you can put an email into what they call the black hole. And then they'll make sure anything from that domain doesn't show up on your doorstep again. They've got automatic follow-up reminders. So you can blind copy an email. Like I'm going to send an email to Katie about uh, checking into a guest for a future show, I can put in the blind copy or even the carbon copy field one week, you know, the, you can spell it or write it out one week at samebox.com. One week later, if Katie doesn't reply to that email to me, it's going to send it to me again to remind me. Um, it's got a way to organize attachments and automatically save them to Dropbox. It's just, it's just like this set of power tools for email. To me, the smart filtering is the selling point. I mean, if you get smart filtering, you're in, and it pays for itself right there. But all this other stuff is great, too. I'm a big fan of SaneBox. It has completely changed my game for email and made it so much easier for me to manage things. Oh, one more feature I'll, I'll just put in. You can put in a mailbox to say, uh, you can put in a mailbox called Saturday. And anything that you get that you want to wait until Saturday to deal with, you just put it in there and it defers it out until Saturday. Then it shows up again on Saturday and you don't have to think about it in the meantime. Little things like that can really make a difference. So if you're interested, go over to sanebox.com slash MPU. And the slash MPU is important because they want to see that our listeners are you know interested in this. We want to get credit for this because I think this is something that we want to keep talking about on the show. Uh, sanebox.com slash MPU. And not only that, you get $10 off. So what could be better? Go there. They've got a nice demonstration to show how everything works. Set it up for yourself. 
uh, you can do a free trial two weeks. And you know, I got an email from Katie and they said that the Mac power users listeners had the highest conversion rate of any promotion they've ever done. I mean, that does surprise me. You know, the users are getting in. And he said, the other thing that was amazing is most people convert after the free trial runs and the Mac power users listeners are like trying it. And like in two days, they're like, okay, I'm in. So (laughs) everybody go, go check it out. You'll see what I mean. This, This really, um, is some of the secret sauce for me to manage an extremely large amount of email. And I bet it could help you too. Uh, samebox.com slash MPU and thanks Samebox for supporting the show. So another thing that you had here on your list for resolutions is reevaluating mobile computer or mobile computing. Does that, yeah, I, yeah, I figured that doesn't, I'm kind of reevaluating my mobile computer, but that's kind of a topic for a different show. Well, what I was talking about is, is iOS. How does iOS fit in my life? I mean, I've, I've, I think I've run the full gamut. When I wrote the iPad at Workbook a few years ago, I locked up my Mac and carried my iPad. And this was, I think, the iOS 5 or iOS 4 days. Uh, so things have got much easier since then. But even then, I was always a big proponent of getting work done with my iPad. And I, um, I've been thinking about it even more lately. How much time do I spend trying to make it work versus just having it naturally work? And I'm trying to kind of refocus what I do with the iPad. So, I mean, we hear about people like Federico who we had him on to talk about editorial and I, and we're going to have him on later in 2014 to do a full blown workflow show, which we're just going to have to block off like seven or eight hours to do that. But he does the most amazing things with his iPad. And we heard a little bit about it from Fraser Spears about all of the things that they can do with their iPad. I mean, Federico does entire, I mean, Federico, I think 90 plus of his percent of his computing is on his iPad and he's doing complex blog posts and he's doing all of these things on his iPad and, you know, Fraser's recording podcasts on his iPad. And some of that is wonderful. Some of that to me still feels a little fiddly. It feels like you're, you're, you're trying to, in some degrees, put a square peg in a round hole and it works for these people and, and more power to them. But so I'm trying to understand what you're talking about. Are are you talking about, you know, more of why am I doing this on the iPad? Do I need to just get my Mac or more? Do I need to enhance my workflows in such a way that I can do more on my iPad? So which way are you leaning towards? I'm not really not sure what you just asked me, but yeah. <laughs> I guess what I would say is I, I've come to kind of a conclusion the last few months that there are certain things that are more enjoyable, not necessarily faster, but more enjoyable and and result in better work product when I do them on the Mac. And there are certain things that are more enjoyable and result in better work product when I do them on the iPad. Okay. And and so I, I've started to kind of look carefully at what those things are and and kind of work appropriately. Like a lot of times I end up in coffee shops and courtroom cafeterias and and I really don't like getting the Mac out when I'm mobile. And the iPad with the always on internet connection and the ten hour battery, there's just some things that make it really that really encourage you to want to carry this thing around with you and use, it. and you know, obviously the, it's much lighter and all the other things. And what I've noticed is number one, there's a couple categories that, that the iPad just really works well for me. Uh, the first one would be task management and that's because OmniFocus is just so amazing. But I think that what the Omni group did with the iOS version of OmniFocus 
is the poster child of what successful Mac app developers should say. Hey, we're going to put something on iOS. We're not just going to make a cheap port. We're going to find out what's good about this platform and focus on that. And like doing reviews and organizing tasks. Um, there's just a lot about it that I really love. And I'm going to do more of that with my iPad, you know, as opposed to trying to write text to fit into a Scrivener file somewhere. Um, the, another one that I feel like is just amazing for me is, is mind mapping. And I've written and talked about this before that I never really got mind mapping until I got an iPad, but now it's, it's just absolutely critical for me. Any major blog post, any major brief I write, any book I write starts out as a mind map for me and the visual uh, interaction of looking at those bubbles on the screen and moving them around with my finger and making new connections is it's just magical for me in terms of my my brain. I don't know. I can't explain it. If I put in an outline, I don't get the same ideas I do with a mind map. And the more I do this, the more I'm convinced I just need to mind map everything of any significance that I'm going to be writing about. So. And that's something that works really, really great for me on the iPad. So I want to do more of that, you know. So, so when I bring my iPad with me, I'm, I'm really kind of more considering what's the best use of my time with this device and what are the tasks that I feel like I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. And that's another one. And another one that I think is really great for me is PDF editing. And, you know, I, I, I've talked to a mix of people that do a lot of PDF editing. And that's a, a kind of a subject for me is a lot of people talk about PDFs, but there aren't that many people that actually edit PDFs and proofread them and highlight them. I think lawyers are probably mm-hmm. in that target. And maybe this is just a really niche lawyer thing and nobody else cares. But I spend a lot of time reading and marking up PDFs, and I find that it works really great for me on the iPad. It works better than it does on a computer. Um so I'm trying to focus on those things. The things that don't work for me on an iPad are remote access. You know, the whole idea, even though I've got the apps and I've got the ability to remote into my Mac and use a keyboard and use the screen as a mouse, you know, I can even get to my office PC that way. I, I think I do that like four times a year when something is absolutely on fire and I've got no better way to do it. But the idea of like running Scrivener on my Mac and then accessing it on my iPad, that that is a complete waste of time for me. It, it, I'm going to spend more time trying to resize windows and make connections than I'm going to do spending getting work done. So as I go into this next year, I, I've been this has been on my mind a lot the last couple of months. I want to start getting better at using the iPad and iOS for tasks that they're best suited for, as opposed to always trying to you know force work into that environment. That makes a lot of sense, and I. I'm I'm finding a lot of it the same way that I, I use the iPad and I'm t- especially because I've got the mini now I'm taking it out with me more often and you know I just I had lunch at the sandwich shop around the corner and I was there for you know 30 or 45 minutes and took my iPad with me and I was able to blow through my Instapaper queue and and read through some email and do things like that and as I'm sitting there brainstorming lots of ideas popped up of oh I need to do this I need to do that I need to do that and, and pop those into into my task management system. Now, I'm just throwing them into my inbox. I'm processing them later when I come back to my computer. But I think just I do, I do a lot of capture on my iPad yeah, on my iPhone just because they're there. Yeah, right. and I still do a lot of writing on it, but it's not – I'm not trying to force the system, I guess I would say. I'm not sure this is – I think this is all kind of obvious, but it, it's really just occurred to me the last couple of months. 
All right. You want to switch topics? Yeah. Let's okay. go to the next one. So something that I have been, I don't want to say struggling with, but but maybe reevaluating a little bit, this, and, and I'm going to think about some more in 2014, is my scanning workflows. And I want to distinguish that from my, you know, we, we did a whole show on paperless. And I mean, obviously, you know, I'm talking to Mr. Paperless. You wrote a whole book on it. And, and, and maybe it's time to revisit the paperless episode. I don't know. I mean, we, we, we could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about going paperless. But I've been thinking about this for a while. And then it really came to a head when uh, the technical difficulties guys did a, uh, one of their episodes on, on scanning recently, which, by the way, I'm really re- liking the relaunch of, of the generational podcast as technical yeah. difficulties. So G- Gabe Weatherhead is one of my favorite people on the internet. So congratulations to them. But I think, uh, let me, my, my, I'm really trying to streamline this scanning process. And what I'm, what I'm finding is that I, I think it's going to ultimately, and I think maybe I'm just going to borrow a page from your book, literally and figuratively, is that when my understanding is when you scan, you scan almost everything to a scan folder, right? Yeah. That is, that sits, and I think yours sits in your Dropbox or it sits in some kind of shared cloud that, because you can scan from multiple places it, to it. You can. It, yeah, there's ahead. two. There's two. There's a, oh. there's one that's on my Dropbox. It's an action folder. And then there's one that's on my local drive that is stuff that I don't want in Dropbox, which I almost never use. Yeah, that would confuse me a little bit. So. Well, it, it's. Uh, I, uh, but you yeah, have to switch you put, back. And, you have to switch back and forth and tell it where to scan to. Um, about every three or four months, I have to scan something to a different folder. I just have a different profile. You know, when okay. you have a scan snap, you can. There's different scanning profiles. The the default one for me saves as a PDF file to the action folder in Dropbox. Okay. And rarely I get something that's like tax related that has my social security number on it or something, and I don't want to put that in Dropbox. And I'll switch to a different profile for that. I mean, it's so rare that I I put those aside and do those in batch every three or four months. You know, I, I'm getting over that. And, you know, that one of the things that they were talking about on that podcast, and, and don't get me wrong, everybody has to make their own decisions. And I don't begrudge anybody for the decisions that they make of what to put in the cloud and what not to put in the cloud. And we're going to get so much email from me saying this, so just go ahead and send it on. But I am starting to get over the types of documents that I put in the cloud. You know, I used to say, well, I'm not going to put anything that has my credit card number in it in the cloud. Well, yeah. Guess what? Target's already got your credit card. No, I'm just kidding. We probably, um, yeah. I mean, your credit card number is is already your bank account number is already in the cloud. I mean, if you do online banking of any type, heck, I download those documents from the cloud. You know, they're already yeah. somewhere. Or, or when you bought your taco today, the waitress had your credit card and she has your number. Right. I mean, so I've I've let go of of some of that. I I have not. I mean. I have not gone so far as to scan my tax returns and put them intentionally, although I'm sure at some point something has, has ended up somewhere in the cloud. But I've gotten over some of that. No, but, I, and I'm I'm with you. I, I don't have that many things that get held up that way. But you know, when you put this in the outline, I kind of gave you grief about it because I, to me, there's nothing to change. I um, I've been doing this for years. And I can tell you that. Uh, my scanning workflow has been, and if you read the paperless book that's now a year and a half old, it's 
not change. I have a, a little plastic bin. Stuff comes in that I think I'm going to scan. It goes in there. Then about every week, I'll put something on TV and just scan each document in through my scan snap. I do like the fact that the iX500 is wireless now, so that makes it even easier. Are you, are you just, using it wireless? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And um, I, I've pretty much, the, the you know, our iMac is getting aged and it's, um, it, you know, it's starting to give issues as it gets older. And so I've pretty much switched everything to my laptop. I mean, I've got this crazy, awesome Retina MacBook Pro, so it's kind of become my main system. So I, I've got that on the table and the scanner across across on the other side of the table. It's I don't like to have it on my table, but that's another story. But I I literally just push the button and put every document in there and I don't even process them at that point. I just get them in. And as I scan them in occasionally I'll find something that's like, "Hey, here's a medical bill I didn't know we were going to, you know, if I put it aside if I have to talk to my wife about it or something." Uh but ultimately I scan things in. I I don't spend any time thinking about it much i just get this the paper and i can watch a ball game or whatever while it's going on and then i've got everything scanned and then at an, another point i go through that folder and i've got you know five years worth of hazel rules which just gets better every day i mean they came out with another new version of hazel now it recognizes mavericks tags so and now it can pull a date out of the inside of a document and add it to the name which is amazing so as my hazel rules get more and more refined, you uh, for a lot of things, all I do is press that blue button and hazel does the rest for me on my Mac. Well, and and that's pretty big because I think that's what I one of the things that I, is definitely on my list is I need to and and don't get me wrong, I've probably got a dozen or so hazel rules that I use to to filter things for all my very and, and I would say. 80 plus percent of what I scan goes into Evernote because that's my document management system of choice. And I use that fancy Apple script that I wrote up for Macworld that talks about um, how to automatically rename and save things into Evernotes with specific notebooks and specific keyboards or or, uh, specific um, tags. And so once you set that up once, you can just kind of copy it and, and duplicate it and then change the criteria. But I, so scanning everything, I, what I used to do and, and what I do still sometimes is, you know, if I, if I know it's something that, oh, I don't really have a, I don't have a Hazel rule set up for this, then I'll use the ScanSnap profile to scan directly into Evernote and it will go into my Evernote inbox and then I'll just process through my Evernote inbox and, and put it where it needs to go. But what I'm realizing more and more is just about everything I scan, I've scanned before. So why don't I have a Hazel rule for it? Yeah, I've got something like 70 rules. I, I don't know how many I have, but it's a big list. That action folder, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff that happens. When I make a donation to Goodwill, it, it triggers a rule. Whatever it is, I, a rule kicks in. And so, so much of my action folder is cleaned out for me just by by Hazel. And um, I, I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, I'm scanning to Evernote. And I'm just not sold on it. I, Evernote's great for some things, but I don't think it's really great to get your PDFs out of it. And... And I don't know why, I don't know, I, I think with the combination of Hazel and nested folders, you have a lot of flexibility. So I, I'm not sold on Evernote for scanning documents. But how is this a New Year's resolution, Katie? I don't, are you going to change something next year? Yeah, I, I think the resolution is to really get my Hazel rules in order. I think the the resolution is to go back and if I scan something once and I look at it and I realize I've scanned this or I've scanned something very similar to this before, it gets a Hazel rule. I mean, I think I think in the next year I'm going to go from 12 to 50 Hazel rules. 
Yeah, it's not hard. In I mean, my scan folder. Yeah. If you just take the time, and you don't even have to do it while you're scanning. So uh, this is how I develop these rules. Is, you know, I, I push the blue button repeatedly and, and feed paper to this machine, and I don't spend time thinking about all this stuff, like I said. Then when I go through that action folder is when I look at it, because there's going to be stuff in my action folder. Anything that I have to spend a minute on my action folder filing or, or renaming makes me mad. So... I take two minutes instead and make a hazel rule. And then I never see something of that category again. Um, one thing I've added to my hazel workflow is now that we've got hazel doing Mavericks tags, I have a, a tag called to pay, you know, to Excuse pay T O space. Like, P-A-Y. like the thing on your head. Sort of just okay. but different. Um, did you know, see how much feedback we got about me calling Sir Latab German? I know, and I, and for the record, I tried to correct him, but he didn't listen to me. Okay, I really apologize to everybody. Um, everyone knows that Sir Latab is Swahili. But okay. so, so in Hazel, you can add a tag called to pay. And then, <laughs> no, I can't say it the other way. Uh, but so then... Uh, so then I can still file the, the bill when it comes in and I've got a, Oh, a, a, to pay. Uh, sorry. I just got it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like to pay later. Like I'm going to yes. pay this bill. Got Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. so that was always, I don't a know where my head was. One of my concerns was that my Hazel rules were so smart that like, like a doctor bill would come in and it would file it and rename it and date it and lock it away from me. And then I wouldn't pay the guy. And then he'd say that I'm a deadbeat because I didn't pay him. And the fact is my system was so efficient that it, it filed it before I actually dealt with it. So, um, there's certain categories that always need to be paid with a check or something like that. So the Hazel rule for those categories gets that Mavericks tag added to them. And then once a week, you know, when I do the bills, I sit down and I open up that folder and say, oh, yeah, look at that. There's that doctor bill. And then I'll write a check or do whatever I need to take care of paying it. Then I'll remove the tag and it goes away, which Brett told me is bad because you're not supposed to have temporary tags. But, hey, it works for me. Yeah. See, I just don't put stuff in my to be scanned bin until after I've paid it or dealt with it. No, see, to me, it's it goes into the bin. I mean, I, I look at the bills when they come. If something comes in that's an emergency, I'll I'll stop and deal with it. But rarely does that happen. I mean, it just goes into the bin, and then the bin gets cleared out, and then I process it from there. Okay, well, I'm not sure that's a New Year's resolution, but I am looking forward to hearing about you using Hazelmore. Yeah. All right, you want to talk about Daisy Disk? Uh, why don't we? T- yeah, let's. Do- oh, yeah, Daisy Disk, of course, our next sponsor. Yeah. Since we last talked about Daisy Disk, they've come out with a new version, version three, and it's really pretty great. Um, uh, Daisy Disk has always been the best disk management application in the App Store. I mean, so if you've got a hard drive or an SSD and you're worried about space, Daisy Disk is the solution. It, it analyzes your disk for you and organizes everything by category and does these really cool concentric circles so you can see. Like if your music is suddenly taking up a bunch of your space or if your iTunes or your iMovie files. So you can go through it and then selectively delete whatever is filling up your hard drive. The other great thing about Daisy Disk is because it does this all visually, you find things that are taking up big chunks of your hard drive that you didn't even know about, like cache files or something that, you know, you may have a 10 gigabyte file on your 
on your computer right now that you weren't aware of. And Daisy Disk will find it for you. I love it with my SSD computers because I always want to manage that space and have it available for things that are actually important to me. So I bought Daisy Disk years ago and I've never stopped using it. Well, the new version with version three got a new design and a new application icon. It's got full retina display support. So it looks great on those retina MacBook pros. Um, it's got a 64 bit engine. So now it requires 10.7 so or better. So it's but fast. It, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, and it's noticeably faster. And another thing they can do with this is folder rescanning. So it used to be that if you wanted to rescan, it had to rescan the whole disk. Now it can do the, the individual folder for you, which again makes it faster. It can also analyze the contents of bundles. So you might see a 10 gigabyte bundle, but it actually tells you what's inside it. So you can look at that with, with more granularity or detail. Um, they updated the list of file systems that, uh, so it won't, um, so the system files that won't be deleted, they don't, you don't accidentally go in there and do damage. You know, you see something you're like, well, I don't know what that is. I'm just going to hit delete. Daisy disk will say, Hey, wait a second. You need that. You don't want to mess up your computer. Uh, Thunderbolt disks are now correctly recognized. I mean, they've added, it adds notification center support. Uh, they've got a lot of great stuff in it, and uh, it also now has a com- menu command to launch Disk Utility. So if you want to jump over to Disk Utility and check your drive when you finish, um, you know, optimizing it, this is the way you do it. So it's all done with Daisy Disk. It's just ten dollars in the App Store, uh, Apple Award, uh, just a great application. And they also have one other app, uh, the same developer is called Unclutter that I use every day, and it costs just five dollars, and that drops down and gives you text and file storage. Um, we've had Daisy Disk on the show now for a year. This is the end of their ad run with us. And I just want to thank them for supporting the Mac power users. And frankly, for making some amazing software that I use every day. I mean, we'd be talking about them, whether or not they were sponsors and, uh, everybody that hasn't tried it yet. This is a great chance to go out and take a good look at Daisy Disk. If you do end up buying it, let them know you heard about it from us. Yeah. And two things I want to say. Number one, it took you longer to read that ad spot than it actually did for me to scan my entire disk. Really? Get feedback for it. Yeah. By yeah, like a long time. It's really time. nice. No. This version three is just wicked fast, which I think yeah. was one of the things they really wanted to respond to. I mean, it's not easy to analyze an entire hard drive and they figured a way to do it much faster than I ever expected them to. And if you've yeah. got an SSD, it's almost essential software. Yeah. And I do also want to say thank you to Daisy disk for, uh, for hanging in with us for, for I think a year now. So thank, thank you to Daisy Disk. Um, and thank you to the Mac Power Users listeners. I've seen a lot of mentions on Twitter. Uh, we asked a couple of shows ago that, you know, if you found a product or service as a result of listening to the show, to, to let the developers know. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of tweets sent out about that. So thank you. That helps. Um, moving on to our next topic. It's, it's one that started out kind of gloomy. And David, you said you initially didn't want to do it, but but I think I can I can put a, a positive twist on it. All right, so let's I'm, hear it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. So Nicholas wrote us about death and digital life, and he wanted to know. Basically, he said I, he recently heard somebody talking about he discovered all these letters from his family, and now nobody writes letters anymore. And all how is this stuff going to be available for future generations? Um, and then he also said, you know, what happens to all of this stuff on my computer? when I'm gone. I mean, it's when you think about just a couple of years ago, we used to back up stuff on on backup tapes. 
or you know even CDs and DVDs, which are questionable in terms of, of their viability. I mean, just when we were cleaning out my office not too long ago, we threw away this backup tape drive because we didn't have anything that we could plug it into. Um, yeah. you know, because these things go away. So, you know, he said, you know, what, what happens to my iTunes purchases? What happens to the apps that I buy? Um, you know, what happens to all those, those licenses that I bought? Um, you know, what, what happens to all this digital stuff? And so that's, that's one issue. And I think it's something, it's a good thing to talk about to start kind of thinking about these things. But the way that I want to turn this topic around a little bit and also address is I also want to address how we can use the digital life to, pre- to preserve some of this stuff and to give it new life. And I've been doing this some in my personal life recently, um, going through just a lot of documents from my grandparents, you know, scanning photos and scanning family documents and, and being able to, to share them out with the family. That's stuff that just otherwise would have gotten pitched. So, you know, I think you can also see it as a very positive thing of, you know, this is how you can take those documents that otherwise would have just been pitched and, you know, hard drive space is nothing and save them. So. Yeah. And, and I do think, we, and we've talked about this in a prior show is, yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, actually I think it was our last new year's resolution show. Was it? I think so. <laughs> well, I mean, for instance, the, if you're a one password user, your significant other should, should know how to get in. If something happens to you, like my wife knows how to get into the, one password system because we, there's so much important stuff for their her just to kind of keep things running if I'm you know in a box um, th- th- one of the points he made though I thought was interesting was all this rich correspondence we have with our friends and all this email we've had and that that is an interesting thing what happens if something happens to you where does that go I mean if they don't know your email password or whatever it just kind of goes away um, that, that actually played a role recently. I, I had celebrated my 20th year as a lawyer and I had written this really long day one diary entry to myself. And then I went back and forth and eventually published it. And one of the reasons I did is I want my kids to be able to read this. This isn't something I just want to lock away in a digital diary. So I don't really have the, the answer to this, but I guess going into next year, that would be something to think about. Well, I think there are a couple of things you can do, and I'll just refer you back to, I think, the New Year's Resolution show last year where we talked about some of this stuff. But in terms of getting access to things, and I won't touch on that very long because we've already talked about it, but there is a great, and I'll try to put a link in the show notes, and not you can Google it, it's called the 1Password Emergency Kit, and it's applicable to other types of password managers if you don't use 1Password. But it's it's basically a checklist of things um, that you would leave with whatever your other important documents are that says, basically, this is how you can get into my stuff. And these are the things that you need to know. And I think having some kind of checklist like that and putting some time and putting some thought into that is important. And it's not going to take that long. It's probably going to take you an hour or two to sit down and, and put together and you know just make sure that it's something that you you update regularly. So I think that's one thing. This This whole issue of, I guess, archival media formats is is something that we struggle with and that I've talked about on past shows because, you know, apps, apps do die. I mean, ask any Apple works user what they're doing with their documents right now. I mean, unless they took steps to convert those documents. And we've talked about it with, you know, McWright, what are you doing with your McWright documents right now? You know, and unless you proactively you just call it McWright, like, like McRibs. Uh, I think I did McWright. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What do you do with your McRibs documents right now? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. 
No, that's fine. But in but I think you you have to think about this because you you do have to take steps to be more proactive um to make sure that these documents are going to survive because if if you had your thesis done and Mac right, I don't think you're going to be able to get a copy of that right now unless you had the foresight to see when when Mac right was going away, oh, I'm going to convert that into text or I'm going to convert that into whatever the the popular word processing program at that time. And, and you've talked about this a lot, which is, you know, just kind of in the theme of why you use Markdown, because it's just at the, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's just plain text. And you're yeah, always okay. going to be able to read those files. That's one of the reasons that I like doing my diary in the day one app. It's, it's just text inside there. And anything that's going to be archival, like your whatever you're writing, there's no reason not to just save it out as PDF. It's so ridiculously easy on the Mac to do that. And that's a file that your, you know, your children and grandchildren will be able to read a PDF and they can, they can scan the text out of it and they can do a lot of things with it if they wanted to in the future. Yeah. So I, uh, that's one of the things I'm trying to move away from proprietary file formats and, and get into more standard file formats. And then, you know, I've, I've moved mo- most of my stuff just onto to hard drives. And as I upgrade my hard drives and the, you know, the NAS we talked about that makes that easy. Those are going to continue to stay fresh and circulate. I don't know what the next thing is going to be after. I mean, obviously the next thing is going to be solid state drives versus rotational drives. I don't know what the next thing after that is, but well, Implants, I don't think the, the cube yeah. implant. I, I don't think CDs and DVDs are going to be real popular that much longer. Yeah. Um, so since we're kind of going off off the rails a bit, I had a category called hippie stuff, and this is really kind of Merlin's domain, so I'm not going to go long on it. But the um, I really want, as I go into the next year, to get better at, at kind of scheduling a little more downtime, a little more time to think. I feel like this 2013, I spent way too much time running and not enough time just stopping and smelling the roses or even just just giving myself time to let things process because I think I make better stuff when I have scheduled time in between. So I'm going to work on that for next year. Uh, I've said on the show a couple times I'm going to implement the every six weeks list from Merlin where he said, get six friends, call each one once every six weeks. And that makes so much sense to me. And how come I haven't done that yet? Yeah, I don't know about this. Tell me about this. I talked about it on the show before. Well, so he had. I, I he swear a, you did. He called it the E six W list on one of the shows of Back to Work, and um, and he has a list of six friends, and every week he calls one of them, and then when he gets to the end of the sixth week, he starts over again, and you know you have you have dear friends that you just don't keep in touch with, and yeah. why wouldn't you want to call one every six weeks? Pick just don't go crazy. Pick six. And uh, keep those connections stronger. It could be a family member. It could be a, a college friend or anyway. I think that's such a great idea. And it's been in my OmniFocus now for a year. And I still haven't done that. So I'm very optimistic about what I'm going to get done. <laughs> what? I said, What'd I just added it to my OmniFocus. Yeah, I, I just added start, start E6W week. Uh, One of my w favorite list. things Merlin has ever said. And I haven't implemented it yet. Yeah, do less better go a little slower i think that that that's something i could use going into the next year how about you katie what's your hippie stuff you probably don't have any hippie stuff i'm wearing birkenstocks right now yeah well there you go that's a start (laughs) yeah um we got some feedback yeah before we get into the feedback can i talk about our last sponsor 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about our, our last sponsor for this episode, and, and an appropriate sponsor for this episode, because uh, we did talk a good bit about scanning, and that is Fujitsu. And none of my scanning workflows would work, would it not be uh, for their ScanSnap line of software. I've got the iX500 in absolutely, positively, love, love, love the scanner. And, you know, I gave my mom um, one of their uh, other s- scanners, and she just told me that she's she's ready for an upgrade, David. What am I really? going to do? You have to buy her an iX500. I, I guess that's what I'm going to have to she do. She gave you life. She gave you life. Yeah. She says, I, I think I'm ready for a little upgrade. And I said, you've had yours for less than a year. So she is, she's mastered and she's now ready for the iX500. So what is, what is so great about this iX500? Well, first off, it is wicked fast and this thing just tears through the paper. So you've got, I've got a, a, sta- a basket underneath my desk that is, is where I throw all of my stuff in that I'm going to scan. And so once a week or so, sometimes once every two weeks, I will start throwing that stuff in the iX500 and just zipping right right through all of it. It has the ability to OCR all of this document using optical character resolution. And so our recognition, right? Recognition. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's been the end of a long week. Can you tell folks? I'm sorry, but it uses optical character recognition. And that's when we talked about Hazel earlier in the show, where all of those fancy schmancy Hazel rules that we talked about will kick off and fire because Hazel can actually tell what's in the document now because the scan snap has gone through and read it. So all of these wonderful magical things will start to happen because of OCR. Um, if you, you can, as David said, you can set up multiple profiles using the scan snap software. You can scan directly into Evernote, which I do pretty regularly. You can scan to a scan folder. And if you're like David and you have like my regular scan folder and my top secret, super confidential scan folder, you can have a normal scanning profile and a DEF CON 5 scanning profile where you I'm scan. I'm going to rename it. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm going to rename it. That's perfect. You're, you're welcome. Um, so you can set up different profiles depending on what you want to do with your scanner and where you want things to go. And probably one of the coolest things about this iX500 is it now has the ability to scan wirelessly. So, you know, I've had mine sitting on my desk next to my computer for a long time, but I realized that where is it that I get most of my stuff? Well, most of the stuff that comes in that has to be scanned comes in from my mailbox. So I have to go to the mailbox. I walk through the laundry room. I usually process it on the kitchen counter. I do something with it and then it ends up, I have to bring it into my office and stick it into my scan box. So wouldn't it be cool if maybe that iX500 could sit in my utility room or in my laundry room and just happily scan away? And you know what? It can. So they've got a whole range of scanners, whether you need the fancy pants iX500, which believe me, once you go there, you you love the iX500. Or if you need portable scanning on the go, you can get the 1100, which is little uh, individual pieces of paper, which is something that you could put at the bottom of your purse or in your briefcase. You probably don't carry a purse, David, so you could stick yours in your briefcase if you wanted to. Yeah. I, I like the way you use the word probably there. <laughs> where, yes. where am I going to carry my McRibs if I don't have a purse? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, 
I think Katie's getting punchy. No. <laughs> or they have the S1300, which is the middle of the road scanner, um, which is desktop or it's travel size. I know you, ta- you take yours when you, when you go. Um, that's the one that my mother stole from me. I mean, took from me or asked for me and that I gave her. And now she wants to upgrade to the iX500, so she better not be taking my iX500. We'll have to see what we can do with that. And if you need to scale, uh, scan large-scale images, if you want to scan books or magazines or anything like that, uh, check out the SV600, which is now Mac-compatible. So there's a whole line of ScanSnap products. You can find out more about them by going to ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. And... That lets them know that we sent you. You know, one of the greatest features about the ScanSnap is the OCR because it's really good and it's really fast. And whenever I hear everybody saying, well, I used Evernote because they're going to do the OCR for me. Well, everything I scan is OCR. I turn that box on by default. And that really makes a lot of automation possible. And that's all all because of the ScanSnap. The, um, Katie, I was going to tell you, so you're bringing your mom to Macworld this year, didn't you say? Absolutely. Yep. Right. Already got so her she can, she can talk. Maybe we'll, if we do a scan snap ad during our Macworld show, we'll have her give it. She, she already has an agenda. <laughs> oh, you know what? I want to take your mom she, out. She tea. wants to, ta- she, she wants to talk the, the, her words, not mine to those snap scan people. Yeah. Yeah. And she also wants to talk to the 1Password people because she wants to start doing the 1Password thing in 2014. Because 2013 was her year to go paperless, which she has successfully done, which is why she now needs the super-duper scanner. Yeah. And so now she told me that 2014 is the year that she's going to um, tackle the password situation. I'm so proud of her. She's so she's so awesome. Well, I want to take her out without you, and I want to talk to her about you. I, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't, I don't. How does how does she handle her liquor? <laughs> About like me. Like her a glass of wine? Will she tell me all your secrets? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, see, speaking of drinking, <laughs> we had a lot of feedback about our tea show. So much tea feedback. You know what was great is we had a lot of feedback. There were zero complaints. Although one person called me a colonialist, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, there's only two things I'm going to add to this, this, cause I think it's, it's been done at this point. I had a lot of people tell me that I need to be checking out the, the Breville tea maker, which is a, a pot that sets the temperature and it actually has a magnetic device that drops the leaves and pulls them out automatically. <laughs> goodness. And it, I had no, no kidding. I had a lot of listeners who say this is like the greatest thing. I can't bring myself to do it. I've got a nice cast iron Japanese pot. Someone gave me it's, it's, sentimental and it's very special and so i've kind of got my own system but if you're a tea nerd that's something you probably may want to check out the other thing we got is we heard from an organic organic chemist and i wrote down the notes and i didn't put her name i'm sorry i know i remember it was a, a a woman listener and she had said she's an organic chemist and they had done some tests and they found that the tea leaves put off even more caffeine on the second brewing and maybe it was the particular tea leaf. She said she wasn't, you know, this was, she didn't spend her whole life studying this, but they once did a test and found out that, that it's an old wife's tale that the, there's less caffeine with the second running. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought it was an interesting data point. Okay. That's it. I'm not going to say I've, anything else about tea. I was looking for a name while you were talking, but I, I couldn't pull it up. That quickly, I feel so. bad. Okay. I'm sorry.
but I don't want to stop and look for it right now. But anyway, it, I thought that was a, an interesting point. So that just gives me all the more reason to, to brew new leaves every time. And uh, we also got a lot of feedback about folders and tags. And we did the show with Brett Terpstra. And a lot of people are very emotional about this, uh, the subject, you know, about tags and folders and where they all fit. And I guess the conclusion I got from all the feedback was, you know, we really don't know where this is all going. I think tags are becoming increasingly important. I don't know that they're going to replace folders. They probably aren't. Uh, uh, yeah, a couple of people really took strong exception to that comment. Yeah. Yeah. So there we have it. Uh, Katie, this is the last show of the year. It is the last show of the year, but have no fear. It. We have more There's next year. A, we, we, we have the whole year booked out. We're good. We We're got committed. it. We're we committed. got it. When this all started, uh, Katie told me, please, will you promise to do, what was it, one year? Yeah, just, just commit to me for a year. Okay, so I committed to you for a year, and then I came up with the idea for the show of one subject per show. And you said, we won't, there's no way we'll make it through a year. We'll run out of topics. You're crazy. Yeah, I think we, I said we'd run out of topics shortly after a year because I was afraid we wouldn't be able to go much longer than that. Yeah. And so we did it. We made it through another year. And uh, we have a big list of stuff for next year. So I can't wait. I'm enjoying it so much. And I want to thank everybody who listens to the show and writes in and gives us the, the iTunes comments that make me feel good every time I, I need a boost. And I want to thank you, Katie, for putting up with me and, and being a friend. Well, thank you, David. It, it's been an amazing year. And I, I just, I, I am, I am so privileged to be able to do this with you and to do it for the amazing set of listeners that we have. You know, I, I think we're two of the luckiest people in podcasting that, you know, we've just got amazing listeners, wonderful sponsors. Um, it's just, I, I could not ask for any more and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to 2014 and, and just want to thank everybody for a wonderful 2013. Yeah. I mean, not to lay it on too thick, but I, I really get something out of sitting at the mic and talking about this stuff every week. And it's something I look forward to. I never dread it. Enjoy every minute of it. Yeah. So everybody, and, and if for, I didn't uh, talk to you and talk to them, I just have to talk to myself because nobody else in my life wants to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so everybody thanks again Uh, we'll see you next week uh, starting 2014 we've got some great content planned and uh, I'm very excited about some of the first quarter shows we were cooking up Uh, thanks to our sponsors today Sanebox, Hover, Daisy Disc and Fujitsu and and Katie where do you find us? well you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at 5x5.tv slash mpu or at MacPowerUsers.com. And we do want to give a, a shout out to JT, who was unable to do the show notes this week because he is stuck in an ice storm. And so we, we wish him all the best. But thank you to listener Hay for filling in at the last minute. Yeah. And um, if you want to reach us on Twitter, uh, I'm at Max Sparky, Katie's at Katie Floyd, and the show is at MacPowerUsers. There you go. Uh, you can send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And I hope you didn't just say that because there's a little Skype cut out, but uh, that will come to both David and I. And I think with that, we're going to wrap up 2013. David, it's been a pleasure, and we'll see you all next year. All right. All right.